Welcome learners to this new episode of LLL Talk, EU Education Made Simple, the podcast of the Lifelong Learning Platform. Through this podcast, we aim to shed light on some of the difficult jargon that the EU uses daily in order to bring learners closer to Europe and vice versa. My name is Andrea and I will be your host today. And today we have another great topic to discuss, the famous conference on the future of Europe. Last year, the European Parliament, the Council and the European Commission have committed to listen to European citizens and to follow up on the recommendations that they will make. To discuss this topic, I have the pleasure to welcome Elisa Gambardella. Elisa is one of the vice presidents of the Lifelong Learning Platform, and crucially, she's one of the eight civil society representatives that get to sit in the conference plenary. Welcome, Elisa. Hello, thanks for having me. Let me get started with a question that sounds simple, but really is not. What is the conference on the future of Europe? Indeed, I wish it was a, a simpler question in a way, meaning that uh, it is a process through which the European Union institutions wish to hear from citizens at large. But uh, the definition of what um, citizens uh, mean in a way and the ways in which this is happening have revealed themselves to be a bit more complicated and uh, a complex process that is born out of this, uh, I consider, brilliant original idea. So uh, in a nutshell, what it is today is, as I said, a process of consultation of citizens, which is composed of different elements. And these are the multilingual digital platform, but also the decentralized events that are connected to it. The platform is the um, online platform through which citizens can input ideas and debate them. And the uh, innovation there or innovative aspect, I would say, is that through artificial intelligence, it is automatically translated into all the EU official languages, which makes it possible for citizens from Estonia, for instance, to interact with someone from uh, Spain or anywhere else as if they were speaking the the same language. So on on an equal footing in this sense. Then uh, along with the platform and the events, which can be uploaded through the platform, and and it's thanks to this feature that it is possible to integrate the recommendations coming out of the events into the debate. We also have the European citizens panels. These are uh, panels composed of 200 citizens each that are selected in a semi-randomized way. This means that they aim to reflect the demographic composition of the EU, and this is the uh, half-randomized part, but it is also randomized in the sense that they really try to reach out to the people who are not normally involved in the European debate. So uh, to say my mom who lives uh, in Genoa in Italy and does not happen to discuss European matters on a daily basis like I do, also have the possibility to be in the panel and interact with other citizens who simply want to contribute to a debate on the future of Europe, but in a way that is guided. So we also have experts in the citizens' panels that are there to explain how the process works so that then citizens, in principle, can meaningfully contribute to the debate. And then finally, we also have a more institutional component of the conference, which is the conference plenary, where, uh, as you said, I have the the privilege and the honor uh, to be part of, and uh, also uh, the so-called executive board, which is the board that sets the agenda for the plenary. In the board sit the three European institutions, along with social partners, while in the conference plenary, we have a more diverse composition. So we have representatives from the institutions, 
and that's why it is more institutionalized but it is more institutionalized also because it happens like a parliamentary session and along with the institutional representatives you also have civil society representatives like us social partner representatives and also representatives from the national governments and national which also sits in the council so they would already be there but also members of the national parliaments which is also an important innovation to the process along with and this is the most important one maybe citizens uh, as such so the citizens that participate in the panels are also part of the plenary in the end so it is a complex process and the idea is that each of these components feed into the other one so that eventually we will be able to come up with recommendations that are inclusive in the sense of not excluding any of its component. Oh, wow. This sounds like a very nice and perhaps even revolutionary idea to put forward. Um, why would the European Union commit to such a democratic exercise, in your view? What happened is that over the course of the European elections, so the, the elections of the European Parliament, it was noticed a negative trend in terms of participation, as well as at the same time, um, an increase in terms of global challenges that member states alone could hardly face if, um, if not joining forces. So these two elements uh, brought, um, well, prompted the consideration that it is necessary to bridge the gap that currently still exists between the EU institutions and citizens. And to do so, it was decided to somehow replicate a process that happened in France as well, which was um, half successful there. And uh, that is aimed at giving citizens the power to influence directly the uh, decisions on the future of Europe. So it was uh, not prompted by a particular event, but rather by the perception that for the future of Europe to be granted, it was important to be closer to its citizens. And this is certainly a very noble scope. And this is also the theory. And as far as the theory goes, it's all good. But Elisa, you're a representative in the plenary. So let me ask very bluntly, does reality match expectations? Well, uh, not quite <laughs> in the sense that um, while the components that I mentioned before uh, were all kick-started, some of them were not implemented in a way that were really inclusive. So, for instance, starting from the um, multilingual digital platform, there is an issue of inclusiveness when it comes to the non-accessibility of the platforms to uh, people with certain disabilities, which is, of course, a matter of concern. And when it comes to the panels, we have no data on how representative the panels actually are of the diversity that populates Europe. Also, uh, from the perspective of the Civil Society Convention uh, for the Conference and the Future of Europe that they represent, it is uh, absolutely important that these data are not only made available, but taken care of. And finally, uh, also that the citizens, when they take part of the plenary, are enabled to actually take part in the debate on an equal footing with actors that are way more used to interact in an institutional setting. So what happened, for instance, at the last plenary that took place in October was that one could clearly see that the institutional actors being more used in this to these kind of debates also had a sort of advantage. So when um, it, it also goes down to formal aspects of it, but form matters as much as substance in some situations such as this. So 
when you set up the agenda for the plenary or the working groups that I did not mention before, but are the places where thematic discussions are conducted to then end up in conclusions for the plenary to be debated. The agenda was not structured in a way that would lead to such a content-driven debate, but rather to, I uh, have to say, a never-ending list of speeches, including mine, I have to say, that um, were about the expectations from the conference, the process as such, but not on the content itself. And because the conference eventually is um, doomed to last only one year in total, or a little bit more, this does not give the time to people who are not accustomed to this debate to tune in and be able to have an impact. So the hope is that this will improve with the future sessions, but also that the process will be made a little longer to make sure that we can really be inclusive in this sense. Thank you very much, Elisa, for bringing this issue forward. Um, actually, it is something that LLP has brought up too in a statement on the Conference on the Future of Europe, uh, those, uh, those logistical shortcomings, uh, but also uh, content-wise, it's something that really concerned us as civil society organization. It's something that we hope indeed could be improved in the future for the remainder of the time that we have. Um, other LLP representatives, including myself, have participated in the working groups as experts, and I'm very sad to say that what you're explaining very much reflects the reality of things. Um, what are your expectations now for the next plenary and for the closing of the conference? Well, first of all, as I said, that the agenda will be set in a way that is really conducive to a content-driven debate. So uh, for all also to have the, the possibility to have an impact and not only express themselves. So this is a, a very basic, uh, I guess, uh, expectation, but still an important one. And then once this is achieved, to have a debate that is really about the uh, proposals that are coming out of the platform, as well as um, the de a debate that is happening in the working groups in a way that allows, on the one hand, of course, for um, final recommendations that the institutions can follow up on, because otherwise it will be a justification uh, for them not to follow up on them. But on the other hand, I also hope into, uh, that we will see a real confrontation of ideas. We have a diversity of ideas that is part of the conference. We see it on the platform, but we also see it in the plenary. There's not only pro-Europeans taking part in this process, and it is very important that uh, both those who believe that the European Union is necessary and integration must go forward, are heard, but also that we hear from those who believe the opposite and that this confrontation is um, driven and managed in a way that is eventually leading to uh, a compromise, I would say, that should be able to summarize both views while looking forward and be constructive for the future of Europe that I hope will be more integrated than today. I very much agree with you. Uh, integrating and incorporating opposite views on the future of Europe is what normally makes uh, democracies go forward. And, and so far, as you said, there has been just, uh, just a never-ending list of speeches um, uh, where, where citizens were mildly unprepared on the topics um, and definitely not ready to make a meaningful contribution to the scope of the conference. Um, so I think that we have uh, around four or five months left uh, before the conference closes, um, what would you say that citizens can still do on the platform and or perhaps raising awareness of such issues or even outside of the of the given path that the institutions gave us? 
Well, I think, um, of course, it is always possible to contribute to the platform, and this can take different forms, can, uh, can be a matter of inputting new contributions and ideas, participating to the debate, but also simply um, liking <laughs> ideas that are already on the platform and supporting them if we agree with them. But I think the conference will be successful if we will really manage to bring more European citizens closer to this debate, which doesn't necessarily mean that in the end uh, you will have more European citizens that are in favor of the European Union as it is today, but you will have more European citizens. And honestly, I keep saying citizens because uh, this conference is addressed to them, but I think it would be important for all residents in Europe to be able to take part in this conversation, regardless of their citizenship status. And um, so I believe the success will be if more people living in Europe will be uh, more aware of these debates and will have had the chance to participate in it. So as I said, in this process, this can happen through the platform. This can happen by uh, following the debate that is taking place in the plenary as well, of course, but also by taking part in events. I think it's easier also to get involved if this happens in proximity to us. So checking on the platform what events are happening and then attending those events can really be a booster, I believe, for the European debate to be more widespread and uh, to go beyond Brussels boundaries, so to say. And then beside this, any engagement in the European debate, be it within or outside of the boundaries of the conference, I think would still be a contribution to this process. All right. I think that on this note, we are reaching the end of this episode. Elisa, I would like to thank you very much for being our guest today and for giving us these insights, these valuable inputs from within. It's really refreshing to see how European institutions are lived uh, by civil society representatives once they get access to them. It is through such exercises that EU democracies, in my opinion, can really move forward. Thank you very much for being with us. Thank you for having me. And thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of LRL Talk, EU Education Made Simple. And see you next time. Mm-hmm.